Well, good morning. Good morning. We are in on week two of a three-week mini-series between uh, just spending the summer in the book of James, and then in a few weeks we're going to be embarking on our new series all about questions. So if you haven't yet sent your questions in or written your questions down, our entire series is going to be on your questions and us uh, just answering that from a biblical perspective. So be sure to do that. So last week, Scott Matthews, our campus pastor here, brought a fantastic message on unexpected change. Next week, we're going to finish out our series on expected change, and today we're going to focus on what we need to do to make change happen, all right? So let's pray, and and we'll get started. Lord, we offer this to you. We offer all the change that is going on in our life. Everything that is happening, Lord, we offer it to you. And God, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would be lifted up high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so when Christina and I were dating, I'll I'll share a couple stories with you. The first one is uh, when Christina and I were dating, and this was probably about 13 years ago, and I remember the time I first met her parents. So I was in Vancouver, and she was in Ottawa. It's about a five-hour flight, and we've been dating for about four or five months. So I went over for Christmas, and we got to her house late, and at that time, her parents were already asleep, so her older brother opened the door, and under his watchful eye, he brought me all the way into the basement and made sure Christina went to her room, and he watched me all night, right, made sure there's a separation, and in the morning, I wake up, and I go to the kitchen, and Christina's dad is there, like he's holding his cup of coffee. Now, I had never met him before. We had never communicated or talked or anything like that, and he's just in the kitchen. He doesn't even say hi. He's just looking at me with his coffee. And this, I can't even imagine what he must have been thinking. Who is this little punk, you know, coming to my house? Well, <laughs> so, anyways, he looks at me, and he's still not saying anything. So I look at him, and we're just kind of looking at each other. And he asks me a question. He's like, what's your favorite book in the Bible? I'm like, that's, that's your first question to me? What's your favorite book in the Bible? So I look over his shoulder and see if Christina's up yet or if she's hearing and I'm like um my favorite book in the bible right hoping that it would maybe wake her up it didn't so I uh I thought for a little bit and and I was like well you know what it's Song of Solomon (laughs) okay no I didn't say that (laughs) I wish I said that no I didn't I (laughs) I, I, you know, took a deep breath in and I said, no, it's, it's, it was Hebrews and Romans. And over the past few years, I studied the book of Hebrews and Romans because I just wanted to, there are verses in each of the book that I loved, but I just wanted to go a bit deeper and understand the whole thing. Man, am I ever glad that I took the initiative to study those books? Well, the second story is when I, uh, before coming down here to Nashville, I was pastoring in a church up in Edmonton, and I was the group's pastor at the church, and every month I saw my supervisor and a few others, um, you know, managers and executive leaders going into this one room, and they had this meeting once a month, and I'd always walk by, and I'm like, what are they doing in there? And why aren't I invited? Uh, so I asked my supervisor, and he's like, oh, it's, well, it's leadership training, it's managers training, and... And I was like, wow, um, can I join you? Like, I, I mean, can I just like sit, on, sit at the back of the room? I won't say anything. Can I just join? 
and learn. And I mean, the worst thing they could have said was no, uh, but he said yes. And he's like, yeah, sure, we'd love for you to, to join. And over the next few months and years, uh, that, was, that training was so incredible because I was able to then move into positions of leadership and management and, and development. So am I ever glad during that one time uh, I, I took that initiative because it did prepare me for later on. Now, if you think of those two stories, the common theme that brought them together was the fact that I took initiative and sought out opportunities. Seth Godin, he is this author and, and marketing expert, and he, he says this, initiative isn't given, you take it. The amazing thing is that unlike taking an apple or a chocolate bar, there's no loss to the rest of us. After you take it, we all benefit. There's one other thing you can take at work, easily and with approval, responsibility. In fact, they sort of have to go together. One without the other is a mess. Now, what an interesting way to think about initiative. Initiative isn't given, you take it. I mean, this is such an aggressive way to view initiative. So when you break that, <clears throat> excuse me, when you break down that word initiative, we discover that initiative is an, it's an action word. It's not passive. It's uh, action-oriented. It's proactive. Taking initiative is an outward behavior. It's something that we need to do because if we don't take initiative, whatever we had in our minds isn't going to happen. Initiative isn't something that we wait to happen to us. It's something that we do. Now, ultimately, we take initiative because we aren't satisfied with the status quo, right? We're talking about change here. Right? We're talking about last week we talked about unexpected change. Next week we're going to be talking about expected change. We're talking about change here. And if we want change to happen, we need to take initiative. If we want to move from here to there, we need to take initiative. But initiative is not as simple as just making a decision on which direction to go. Right? Initiative isn't just something that you just do and, yeah, I, I made the decision and I'm good. We need to ask ourselves a few questions. I mean, think about all the times that you have taken initiative, even the, the moments in your life right now where you want change to happen. Ask yourself these questions. Who are you taking initiative for? Right? Because we often will take initiative but not think about our inner motives. Right? So who are you taking initiative for? And, and also, who is going to benefit from you taking initiative? Because oftentimes, when we take initiative, the benefactor is who? It's us, right? Are you trying to take initiative to get a promotion? Are you trying to take initiative so that you would receive more credit at work or at school or stand out? Now, when's the last time you took initiative for someone else so that the other person would benefit and you receive no glory, no fame, or no recognition? Now, this is, not some, I'm not, I'm not, this is not some message just on, hey, this is why you need to take initiative, so here are steps to take initiative. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about why we're taking initiative when we do, because it actually reveals something about our worldview, the way we understand the scriptures, the way we understand this world and perceive it to be. So if you have your Bibles, flip to Philippians chapter 2. And in here, we're going to be taking a little bit of a, of a deeper dive. Because when we think about initiative, when we think about initiative, there's this tension that always takes place. We can either land on one side or the other whenever we take initiative. On the one hand, 
you can take initiative and you're taking initiative in order to try to control and manipulate the outcome. And that's why you're trying to take initiative. Versus you're taking initiative and then waiting on the Lord for His faithfulness and trusting in Him for that. Every time we take initiative, we're landing on either one side or the other. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. As a follower of Christ, taking initiative is never about you. Why? It's because this life that we are living is not for our own benefit. The goal and purpose of life is not our glory, it's not our fame, it's not advancing our agendas. It's rather, as we see in verse 2, this, it's, it's about this one purpose. It's about this one purpose. So what is that one purpose that we read about in verse 2? Well, let's flip a page back, go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, and we'll see what Paul says about this one purpose, this, this reason why we are taking initiative. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will now is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's go on. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of this, with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Do you see Paul's one thing? Do you see Paul's priority here? Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And verse 27, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. When we think about initiative, when we think about change, what would it look like to take initiative in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? In the latter half of our time together today, I'm going to be giving you a framework, a very practical framework of of how to kind of get to those dreams that the Lord has placed on your heart and and what to do in those times of waiting and and how to take initiative and all. And the the latter half of our time together, 
is going to be very practical in that way, but I really want to kind of camp down on these verses here just for a moment, because the last thing that I want for all of you to leave with today is just a good framework to getting your dreams accomplished. It's not what this is about. What we are talking about today is taking initiative in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's about looking at the day in and day out of all that we do and every change and decision that we need to make, because there's a lot of decisions we need to make every single day. And with that in mind, trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I take initiative? How do I change? How do I make a decision in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, not in a manner that is worthy of, of bringing me glory and me honor and me fame? Because as we talked about before, oftentimes when we make a decision and we take initiative, the benefactor, the number one benefactor is usually us. We do not take initiative oftentimes in a way that will hurt us and benefit someone else. Right? That's, our worldview is just not there. Like that is, not just, that is just not, even though you know that that might be an okay thing to do, we just don't default there. Default is self-preservation. Default is self-glorification. So because we make decisions so often and change is often so frequent in our life, what does it look like to look at all of those situations in a framework that is lived through in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, right, what we just read a few minutes back, for us to take initiative in a manner, in a, in a manner and in a, in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, we would be doing it with a heart of humility, where the end result of our initiative is not our own interests, but the interests of others. It's about, as we read in, in verse 5, having the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, we don't take initiative, we don't initiate change in order to just do good deeds, or or this is not moralism here. We are talking about taking initiative so that we would walk in step with Christ. Take a look at verse 10 and 11 in chapter 2. We take initiative so that, in verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. We take initiative, we live our lives so that in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the ultimate end for every initiative that we ought to take. That is the one purpose, that is the the, the initiative that we are talking about. We're not talking about taking initiative so that we would be lifted up high. We're talking about taking initiative so that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what it looks like to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you this week, whether it be tomorrow morning or or some other time during the week in your daily Bible reading, and if you're not coming before the Lord in a daily manner with the Word of God, even if it's five minutes before, you know, after you drop off your kids or five minutes before you get on the bus to go to school or, or 15 minutes after you wake up and, and before you eat breakfast, whenever it is, or even if it's before you go to bed, as, we, as I talked about several weeks ago, 
Reading the word is one of the easiest things that will make the largest difference in your relationship with the Lord and in your maturity. Just the simple act of reading. So take a moment this week to read through Philippians chapter 2. Focus in on these verses, verse 5 to 11, to see the attitude that Christ Jesus adopted. Right? This is his attitude. This is what he did. And when he did this, look at the perspective he had. Right? That is what we're talking about here. Right? So the way that we take initiative, right? when we make a change or, or need to see a change in our life or, or there's a goal that we want to get to and we want to get there, the, the change and the decisions and the initiative that we take depend a lot on our worldview. It depends a lot on the way that we, we, we view the world, the way that we make decisions, what our defaults and our normals are. And I love what the missiologist Christopher Wright says about this, right? He says, you're, you're either going to have one or two worldviews. Your worldview is either going to be self-centered or God-centered. That's what he's basically saying there. So what would it take to move from a self-centered, a me-taking-initiative for my own benefit so that when change happens, it's for my benefit and my gain to a worldview where it's God-centered, other-centered? Well, it starts by asking the right question. So here are a few questions that Christopher Wright says. Right? We ask, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question should be, where does my little life fit into the great and grand story of God's mission? See the difference there? Me-centered, God-centered. We want to be driven by a purpose that has been tailored just right for our own individual lives when we should be seeing the purpose of all life, including our own, wrapped up in the great mission of God for the whole of creation. Me-centered, God-centered. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me. You see this subtle nuance? You're still, you're still saying, yeah, no, I want to live for God. I want to live for His purposes. So we ask and we say, hey, what, what mission, God, do you have for me? When really we should be asking, what kind of me does God want for his mission? It's a subtle difference, but it reveals something about our worldviews. Now let me draw out the process that moves us from taking initiative to living out the dreams and the visions that God has given us. Right, Dream, Dreams and visions that align with the gospel and the one purpose or goal that we've been talking about. So if we can get this on the screen here. Uh, it's, it's this diagram. So you look here and, and we see on the far right, there's this circle that's labeled dreams. Now consider your life and consider all the dreams that you might have in your life. These things, hey, next year or, or five years from now or 10 years or 25, 50 years, whatever, whatever timeline you have in mind, maybe it's things on your bucket list or if someone asks you a question, if, if time and money were no object, what would you do with your life? Just all these dreams that we have, think about them. They're, they're, they're there, right? They're in the future. We don't, we're not there yet. Maybe you have accomplished some of the dreams that you have set out and, and maybe the Lord has placed on your heart, but a lot of them are there. They're not, they're not here right now. Okay. Now let's get the next diagram. And right here, all the way on the other side where we are today, 
you'll see this large space, right? If we want to get to the dreams that the Lord has called us to, we need to take initiative, right? There are things that we need to do to move towards that dream that the Lord has placed on our heart. But as we see, there's a massive space in between taking initiative and getting to those dreams, right? It's not as simple as saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take initiative, and tomorrow I'm going to get my dream, right? That's not what happens. There's a lot of in-between space. So if we get the next diagram, we see there's a lot of arrows. So these arrows represent why we take initiative. These represent the worldview that is underlying the way that we view life, right? This way or that way, right? It's these worlds. So here are some of those questions that, or, or some of the whys as to why we'll take initiative, right? One of those arrows may represent, hey, there's this person that I look up to. There's this person that I respect, or that, that is where I want to be or is doing what I want to do. So you're taking initiative because you're trying to live the life that they're living. Right? You're copying them. Or maybe you're taking initiative because someone told you to do something. It's, it's the life that someone else has built up for you. And you're doing things to appease them. Maybe you're trying to prove something or, or impress someone else. Perhaps it's as you open up the word, you just see the same thing popping out, whether you're in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, reading through the Psalms, the Proverbs, wherever, wherever you're reading. Or it's like, it's like everywhere you go, the same billboard is there. And you're like, God, are you trying to say something to me? And maybe that's why you're taking initiative. Right? So we take initiative, we, we have these things that are prompting us to take initiative, and then we take initiative. And then the next diagram here is this place of in-between. It's this place where we're waiting. Someone else's, it's someone else's decision now. God is doing something. It's this place of in-between. And, and if, if, if you're old enough to have made enough decisions, you know a lot of life is lived right there. Right? A lot of life. And it's only going to grow. <laughs> it's, like, it's like those moments where after you take the SATs, fill out your college applications and submit them. It's, it's that place of in-between. You're just waiting. There's nothing you can do to change what's going to happen next. There's nothing you can do really. You've done all that you can do. You've, you've done as much initiative as you could do and now you're just waiting. Or it's that moment, that split second when you say, I love you. And, and you, you're just waiting. Is, are, is the person going to say it back? Or are you going to say, I love your necklace? <laughs> right? What are you going to do in that split second of waiting? Or maybe it's that moment you put in your resume for that job you want, and you're just waiting. You don't know if they're going to call you back. You don't know if there's going to be an interview or not. You're just waiting. It's like the parable of the talents, right? You got the five talents, you got the two talents, and you got the one talents that were handed out. What did each of those individuals do? When you're in this in-between space right there, what are you going to do? After you've taken initiative, what are you going to do? What is your default? Do you worry? Do you try to do whatever you can to say, oh, oh, what else can I do to try to influence this? What else can I do to try to manipulate this? What else can I do to try to control this? Because when we're taking initiative, we are in control. 
right? It's, it's the place we love to be because we can do stuff. We can make things happen. We can do things on our schedule. We can, we can, we can make a meeting. We can block out something in our calendar. And there are things that we can do. But when we get to this in-between, this, this, this middle space where we are waiting, you can't anymore. So what do you often do? Do you try to, do you, do you actually give up control? Do you wait on the Lord? Or do you try to call others up? Hey, do you know this person? I just submitted my application. I just did this. Or, or who, 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 who do I know who's in the admissions office at this college? Or who can I call up? Or who can I do this? And, or what about this? And do you try to keep on making things happen? Because you still want to be in control. The step here, this here, so much of our life is lived in this in-between. And it would be a shame. It would be a shame if we let the years go by, let situations that we, need to, that we are in go by, pass by, and fail to take advantage of all the ways that the Lord wants to mature us during those moments. It'd be a shame to give that all up. Because all we're wanting to do is stay in control, remain in control. This is the place as we look through the scriptures, as I look at my life, even as you look at your life, this is the place where the Lord matures us the most. It's a place where he molds us into the image of Christ. It's the place, it's those desert moments where, we are, where our prayer lives are deepened. Think about the desert that Jesus, those 40 days in the desert and what the Lord did in Jesus' life. Or what about the Israelites when they were wandering? Or think about Paul. If you look at the end of Acts 20, uh, uh, the end of the, the book of Acts, you know, what did Paul do when he was under house arrest? He was in Jerusalem. He was waiting his execution. Did he try to initiate change? Did he try to organize a breakout? Did he sulk in self-pity and... It's like, man, I can't believe I didn't listen to all those people who said, don't go to Jerusalem. I really shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. Man, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Did Paul live in the what ifs? I'm sure he struggled with the what ifs. But is that what he did? Did he just sit and sulk and live there? Or did he do something? Did he do what the Lord had already called him to do, had made evident to do while waiting on what he couldn't actually control. Look at Acts 28, verse 30. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, right? This was, he was under house arrest, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Did he sulk? No. He did what was already evident. He did what the Lord had already told him. Yes, do. I understand you're waiting. I understand that you're in the in-between, in these circumstances. I understand that you're not there yet, that all the question marks don't have periods, are, are not answered. I understand that. But, but there is something that God has already called me to do. There is something that is already evident so I'm going to live my life doing what the Lord has already called me to do, to love others, to love God, to share the gospel with others. 
I'm going to just do that while waiting. So we go back here. We see the diagram and we see the next one right here where, yes, we are waiting. And inevitably, a decision will come back. You will hear back and you will get, you will be in this place where you now need to respond. So what is your response going to be? Is it, what is your default? Is it to analyze and then say, okay, well, now that I have this response, I'm now going to do a pros and, and cons list. I'm going to see, okay, this is what I initially thought and how different is it to hear? Or maybe are, are you, are you, are you going to doubt and you're saying, okay, I, I understand that I heard back, but what about this and, and what about that? Right? What is your response when you hear back? In Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight, right? So when you respond and you're in this place of response, after waiting on God, after trusting in him, after leaning not on your own understanding, submitting your plans to him, are you going to trust that the Lord will make your paths straight? Or are you going to try to get back in the driver's seat and manipulate and control the outcome to your ends? Are you going to trust that, yes, you may have, God may have revealed this much, and are you going to make your decision based on this, or are you going to trust, hey, actually, the Lord, while, I, while I see dimly, the Lord sees clearly, while my thoughts are here, the Lord's thoughts are, either, are actually here. So we make a decision, we have a response, and then we get the next diagram. What happens? We might get to that dream that the Lord has called us to, or what happens? We get back and we make, have to make another decision, and then we have to wait again, and then we have to make another decision, and then we have to wait again. So much of our life is lived in this in-between. So much of our life is right here. I mean, let's just show of hands, who's waiting on someone else right now? For something. <laughs> We're all waiting. And it would be a shame for us to live and spend and waste years of our life in worry and in the what ifs and in fretting when the Lord has actually said, hey, today is the day that the Lord has made. There's something you can do. Rejoice. Man, I know I'm waiting on this, but thank you, God, that. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me breath today. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can worship with one another, that I am not in chains, but I can worship freely. Thank you, Lord, that I ate this morning. Maybe it was a granola bar. <laughs> Right? Maybe it was a glass of milk. Maybe it was a bacon and eggs. And it was like, regardless, thank you, Lord, that I actually ate within the last 24 hours. Thank you, Lord, that there's not a flood here. But I'm going to do something about what's happening in Houston. Let's pray. Let's act. Let's move. I'm glad we're a part of a, a, of a denomination that has relief trucks already there that was preparing for it this past week. 
And that when you give to love out loud, when you give, that you are a part of the relief work that is happening. Right? I'm grateful that we can be a part of a, of a denomination like that. But what can you do? What can you do? For us, there, instead of living our lives focusing and worrying and trying to get to our dreams, the Lord actually is less cared about the destination that you're going to end up in, and more, he's more cared about, he, he more cares about the journey and the direction that you're moving in. Because what happens when we, get our, our, when we achieve our dreams? What happens when we, when we finally get that degree? When we finally get that promotion? When we finally get that whatever? What happens? Yeah, we look for another thing, right? <laughs> We're not satisfied. We want to keep on going. We, okay, okay, I'm good. Now, now what else can I do? What else can I do? And our life, if all we do is base our satisfaction on whether or not the Lord gives us what we want, we are going to perennially be dissatisfied. We are going to perennially be asking the Lord rather than thanking the Lord. And that's going to that's gonna make our relationship with the Lord a consumeristic transaction. And that is not what it's about. Because what happens when someone uses you? How do you feel? Do you want to help them the second time? Now the Lord is gracious. <laughs> The Lord forgives. The Lord is merciful. And we've all been guilty of using the Lord to try to get what we want, where we are on our knees begging the Lord for something, and the moment He answers, we just go on and we forget about it. Thanks, God. High five. All right, let's go on, go on to the next thing. Right? We're all guilty of that. Praise the Lord that He's merciful, that He's gracious, that He's forgiving. So what would it look like instead? Instead of dwelling on this, instead of dwelling on where you want to be, what if we lived the day in and day out with faithfulness? Believing and trusting that God has greater dreams than we could ever hope or imagine. That even if you sat down and plotted out this dream vision of your life, if you in daily sacrifice daily surrender lived in faithfulness before what god has placed in your hands and your life if you did that on a daily basis whatever dreams you may have god is going to give you way more (laughs) it's going to be way better than you could ever hope or imagine even if you had a million dollars a billion dollars and whatever life you could imagine up with that Lord is going to shatter all of that and say, is that really all that you could have come up with? What would it look like if we lived our day in and day out? Yes, we can have dreams. We can have goals. Yes, we can, you know, submit them to the Lord, right? We read Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Yes, let's submit them to the Lord. But instead of dwelling on that, let's choose faithfulness. Faithfulness. 